Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Normally, when we discuss Bible study, it's been something that God has just, you know, placed on my heart. He's taken me through. He's uh, in instances where we just might might talk about one scripture or we just pray. You know, it's just something he's dealing with right in the moment. But as I've been wrestling with this topic for us to discuss tonight, uh, the Lord brought back to my memory uh, two Bible studies in particular that we discussed way back in 2020. Those two Bible studies being Make That Change and Introspective Healing. Now, both of those Bible studies, while different and um, in their own message delivery point, they're both similar in the sense that it deals with who we are, the person, and in terms of who we can be with our Lord and Savior. Make that change is all about understanding what's stopping us, what's holding us back, what what is something that we can actively work on. The Bible, as we are told, it's a mirror. And when we compare our lives to the perfect law, as the, the scriptures tell us to, then we can see where we measure up with what God wants us to be and where we kind of just want to be. <clears throat> There's a big difference where God wants us to be requires us to be out of a place of comfort in most cases. It requires us to do things that we may not necessarily want to do. It requires us to go be greater than where we are. It really requires us to stop being complacent and to keep moving with our ever progressive God. Introspective healing, on the other hand, is about taking the law, looking at it, and trying to understand what things are still slowing us down. We had a Bible study and I didn't really look into this one, so I can't tell you which one it is. But we talked about how you cannot fight future battles if you're still fighting past ones. Introspective healing has, in a big way, it deals with that, where we take a look at ourselves against what God has for us. And we try to see where are we still hurting? What haven't we let go yet? What part of the past is still trying to be our present, even though it can't do anything to us, but slow us down? Um, you know, what person have we not forgiven? What things have we not let go of just yet? And when we do that, when we take the time to say, God, help me see what's wrong so that I can give it to you so that we can work on this together, not you work on it but that God and you work on it. You first and foremost allowing him to be the God that he is in this situation so that you can be free of it. The Bible tells us that anyone who the Son sets free is free indeed. It doesn't just mean from eternal damnation, but it means from the problems, the past, the issues, everything that can just hurt us in this life. God can set you free from it. He will, he has, and he wants you to walk in the freedom. He's already paid for it. So when we take these old lessons that we've talked about and we apply them today, we can talk about your self-image. That's our topic for tonight. Your self-image. It's such an important thing because as my grandmother has said so many times before at Various churches, one-on-one -on -one sessions, home Bible studies, and um, and in our breakout session of this Bible study, it's that when you look in the mirror, you're looking to see what's wrong with you currently, so that you can fix it <clears throat> before you leave the house. Well, in the same way, when you study the Word, when you read the Word, when you spend time with God, when you're just praying, when you're singing a song, when you're praising and worshiping. Every encounter with God is you looking in that mirror. And when you look in the mirror, 
you're not just checking to see if you look good, but you're checking to see if there's something that's wrong that you can fix. Now, going back to our Make That Change lesson, the whole Bible study itself comes from Michael Jackson's song, Man in the Mirror. And the lyrics, at, at some point, I believe it's in the chorus, he says that he's starting with the man in the mirror. And he's saying that because you cannot help another person until you begin to help yourself. And you cannot help yourself until you build and actively participate in the relationship that God wants to have with you. When you begin to do those things, when you begin to be vulnerable, we've talked about this because vulnerability with God is not the same thing as being vulnerable in this world. Being vulnerable with God means that you're ready to be healed. You're ready to be set free. You're ready to be delivered. You're ready to break through. You're ready to receive his blessings. You're ready to go to that next level because, baby, trust me, where you are right now is not where God wants you to end. He hasn't expected in. And I guarantee you, however many years you have left on this beautiful planet that God has created for us, your expected in is not right here. It's to keep going, keep climbing, keep growing. My grandmother says it every day. And it's the simple fact that no matter how old you get, you can keep growing in Christ. You never stop growing. You never stop learning. And that's something I personally love. So when we talk about our self-image, who we can be because of who we belong to, it's an unlimited cap for us. As the Clark sister said, the sky is the limit to what we can have. All we have to do is believe that God can and will. We can receive it because he's going to do it for us. Not, not tomorrow, not in the near future, but today. Because when you say, God, I need you, he starts working ASAP. He doesn't put you on a waiting list, but he begins working on the problem immediately. The second you start letting God be God, he starts to work on it for you. And that's the kind of God that we serve. So <clears throat> when it comes to our scriptures, I, <laughs> I have like three different things open full of scripture from both of the old lessons that I've mentioned and new scriptures that I pulled up. But we're going to start with some of the new scriptures that I pulled up. And those scriptures are going to come from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, Colossians 3, 1 through 11, and John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Now, I'm not going to read all of these all at once because it's a, it's a good little chunk of scripture, but we will start with John chapter 15. So again, that's John 15, verses 1 through 12. And so the Bible says, and I'm reading the NLT here on the very left, the Bible says that I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Or as the King James says in the middle here, it says abide in me and I in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit. Let's run that back real quick. The Lord himself is telling you that you by yourself cannot be productive. You cannot produce anything if you are severed from the vine or if we use our transliterations here, the source. God is the source. And without our source, well, <laughs> it's like trying to go buy groceries without any money. You can't do it in the same way, but in an even more literal way. We cannot live a life without God because God is life. We cannot grow without someone who knows what it's like to live a proper life. The Lord himself came down to live it for you and for me so that we could have an example. But to continue. It says, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me or unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, or if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now, it's, it's a bit here, but this is out of the Lord's own mouth. So it's very important that we cling exactly to what God himself is telling us. Now, the biggest takeaway from here, there are two that I want to point out. But to start off, it's the simple fact that God is letting us know that as branches or as the things that depend on the sort, uh, the source, excuse me, or, or the root, we can do nothing without him. Now, he's saying it in a very lovingly way. He's letting us know that as long as we abide in him, as we remain in him, as we keep our trust anchored in him, as uh, the, the as the gospel song says, when we keep our souls anchored in the Lord, well, we don't have much of anything to honestly worry about. As we discuss all the time, will the, the problems and trials and tribulations of life get you down from time to time? Of course, we're humans. We have a natural reaction to that. But the response to this situation is to remember that we have a blessed assurance that regardless of what's going on, but God, regardless of what that other person has to say, what the what the system has to say, what the rules or the laws say, what the enemy may try to whisper into your ear, but God. God is the very simple explanation for why we can be so amazing, if we put it quite frankly, because it's not us, it's him through us doing the greater works, as the Bible says. For greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, you not only got rid of God's anger on, on your life for the sins that would be committed and those that have already been done, but you've also been grafted, you've been adopted, you've been born brand new into his family, meaning that you are his child. As a child of the Most High, you have wonderful special privileges, you have favor, you have blessings and treasures stored up just for you. And so when things begin to go bump in the night and you don't know where this or that is going to come from, all you simply have to do is ask your father in his name. And not only will he listen to you, as Jeremiah 29 says, but he will also answer you. We don't just have a relationship with a God we talk to and he doesn't answer back. God speaks loud and clear. So now that you have all this wonderful knowledge presented before you, when it comes to our self-image, when it comes to what we see in the mirror, can we honestly say when we read scripture, when we take a look at self, can we say that we're happy with where we are now? If you've just gotten saved, if you've been on the journey for a little bit or for a long time now, the answer should always be, yeah, I like it, but I know I can be better. God, <clears throat> when he died for you, it wasn't just to save you from hell. It wasn't just to make you right with him. It was to give you a plan and a purpose. He has the plan and the plan for you is for good and not for evil. It's to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future, to bring you to an expected end. The purpose that God has for you, well, that's the beautiful part of this life. In the same way that God told Adam to name all the different animals in the Garden of Eden, that was the purpose that he had given him. The purpose was the job to go forth and to, to name these things. He didn't tell them how to do it. He didn't tell them what specific name to give them. He just told them, this is the job that I have for you. And no, I'm with you. 
go get it done. The fun of life, which I don't know why some people like to think becoming a Christian means you can't have fun. We still enjoy all the same things you do. Just we don't necessarily make it a habit of trying to go get into the wrong thing. But the fun of life is that once you know your purpose, you get to go get it done in whatever way God blesses you with your creativity. That's the beauty of it. For for me, one of my purposes, since you're here with me, is this Bible study. It's to relay the word of God to you in somewhat of a different way than you may typically get it. The whole purpose of, of the ministry God has blessed me with is to be a perception based thing where you start to think outside the box, where you look at the box and say, that's cool, but that's too normal according to our standards. But God, who doesn't work anywhere within the parameters of a box, because that means you're capping what the, what the Lord can do and he has no limits. Trust me, I've seen him do some amazing things. When you start to think about things from the Lord's perspective, when you hear the different testimonies of different brothers and sisters, you begin to see that, well, though thinking about it or going at whatever I'm, I'm dealing with this way may not be fruitful, what if I come at it from a different angle? When you come at things, especially this life from a different angle, you begin to see that maybe it's not as black and white as as we make it out to be. There's there's a saying, you you live where you're born, you live, you work, you die. That sounds horrible. I hate it. But in God's eyes, you're reborn because we come here dead. So you have to be reborn. And in this rebirth, we're actually alive now. And now that we're alive, we have a purpose. Everybody's purpose is different in the degree of what we do, but we all have one common goal. And that goal is to save souls, to help expand our family so that more people can be saved. The more people saved, well, the bigger our family, the less people who have to endure the torment to be because of sin and everything else wrong that they may have done in life. That, that's, that's our common goal. We have one God, one faith, one baptism, and it's all under the wonderfulness of who Jesus is. Now, when, all, when we take all of that and we, we look at ourself, we say, how do we fit in? How can I, in whatever thing God has given me to do, how can I be being official to the kingdom? whether it's to make someone laugh, don't you know how powerful laughter is? If it's just to be there for someone, to be a rock, as God himself is the rock itself, as he was the rock in the wilderness to give water to the children of Israel, as he is the cornerstone, which is the foundation for our entire belief, for our relationship, for everything that we can attribute to that is good, it all goes back to our rock Jesus. To be a rock in, a, in someone's life, to just be that constant, one stable thing, that is a blessing. To just know that no matter what goes wrong, I can come to this person. That isn't to say that God isn't the rock, that isn't to attribute some special praise to this person, but it's to attribute all the praise to God because he is the one constant thing in life. No matter what happens in life, how much the prices fluctuate, how crazy the laws get, how reverse they may seem. God is always God. He is always for good and always against evil. And as his child, he will always be for you, always looking out for you, always caring for you, correcting you, training you, teaching you, loving you, providing for you. He's doing all these things so that when we begin to look at self, we can say, well, how can I better emulate my father. Remember, we're mirrors. Our sole purpose is to reflect our God so that when others see our lives, they say, well, how did they get to be so kind or so caring or so loving or so giving or so peaceful or so joyful or so just happy-go-lucky, whatever it may be? It all goes back to God. The self-image that we have and I guess I'll be reading that one next, 
it all goes to who we belong to. Because your life is not your own. God paid for you with a very heavy price. His own son, his own self, the consubstantiality of who he is. Consubstantial, if you're not familiar with the term, and we throw it around a lot here, it means of the same essence of the same being. It is the same exact thing. So God had to give himself to get you back because we sold ourselves out. Now with that, we can actually take a look at that, that exact scripture. So we'll be looking at Colossians chapter three, verses one through 11. And again, I'm reading the NLT on the left here. And the Bible says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life, who you are in trueness is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, can't make this up, you're reading it for yourself, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get used to, excuse me, um, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, be, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Not like, not, not like you, not like the world, not like these, these, um, these gurus or whoever, not like the self-help books, not like these idols as we call them, but like God himself, our creator, our savior, our greatest example. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, just meaning if you were the original people God chose or the rest of us. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. I, one, again, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Your identity, who you are, it's all tied up in God. Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to know what your purpose is in this life? Do you want to have a better understanding of your grand purpose in this cosmic scheme? Do you want to stop having a, a midlife crisis at the age of 20, 30, 40, however old you are? Do you want to stop constantly trying to find yourself in some new thing or person or place or job or different career? Get to know God. I cannot tell you how uncertain of everything I was before I started taking my own relationship with God seriously. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Now, of course, there are still some things we, we will probably not have a, a real grasp on of what we want to do. But the important thing is, is that you will know your purpose. My purpose your purpose, all of our purposes as children of God is to help spread the word. It is to go forth in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, whose one name is Jesus, because the three are one. In the same way right now, I'm your teacher. For a lot of you, I'm your friend, your brother, your, your, your son, whoever. I'm all these different things, but I'm just Jr. In the same way, God is the father of everything, the creator of all, the savior, the risen king, the advocate, the comforter, the whisper in the cool of the wind, the rock of ages, the eternal one, anything you could think to call him, but he's still just one God who unifies all these great characteristics under the one great name he chose for himself, which is Jesus. So you want to get to know you, get to know God. 
You want to be able to express love and be able to take it in and give it back? Get to know God because God is love. And as the Bible says, if a man says that he has love but does not have God, well, you're kind of lying, buddy. But if you know God and have a relationship with him, well, you're pretty on the money. Then it goes on to tell us um, one of my favorite things that backs up Psalms. It says that when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Well, we know that the Bible says pain endures but for the night or suffering. It endures only for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, the suffering could be your measly 70 to 100 years on this planet, however long God has for you to live. You'll have good days. You'll have bad days. You'll have hills to climb. But at the end of the day, you'll still say, thank you, Lord. Because at like we talked about what last week, you can't you literally can't complain. He gives you everything that you need. So in this same instance, when we just put up with a few things, when we get talked about a little bit, somebody wants to hit you or spit at you or, or curse you out or just do something foul to you. You go with the punches, you know, but I have to take it sitting down, turn the other cheek. When you turn your cheek, when you get hit, you actually dole the blow, a little boxing for you. But all this is for the simple fact that God, who could have easily wiped us out in the blink of an eye, chose to save you. So when we look at self, when we ask, how can we be more like our father? Well, it's very simple. As we just read, ask him, spend time with them. Since he is the essence of your life itself, when you spend time with him, he will talk back to you. I cannot tell you how many times I've verbally heard from the Lord. I've heard from him through a sign or a wonder. I've heard from him through a confirmation of three, which he often does for me. I'll have something I'm thinking about. I'll have a conversation with one person. Then I'll have a similar conversation with the same outcome two other times. I haven't told any of these three people that I would be having this conversation, nor did they know what the other person said. But God works that way because we have that but God clause where the favor or the God math, as we talk about, begins to just work out for us. So your self-image, who you are, whose you are, what you can be, Everything you need to know is all wrapped up inside the pages of scripture. And all you have to do is ask the person who wrote it right there. Just ask them, Father, what does this mean? I don't remember what year it was, but we had a Bible study about how to study scripture. When you read something and you don't know what um what scripture it may be alluding to, because a lot of scripture alludes to another part of scripture. That's what it does. That's why it's very big to study the Bible so that when you read things, that light bulb can go off. Oh, I remember they talked about this way back in Exodus or, oh, yeah, this points back to first Colossians or, oh, snap. Psalms is talking about with the foreshadowing of Jesus or, man, this was in Revelation. Now it's here in Acts and it's just one big spider web that all points right to God. So when we study the word to show ourselves approved, as the Bible says, a workman who needeth not correction, but can rightly divide the word of truth. We can take it. We eat it. We trust in God to bring it back to our memory exactly when we need it. When someone asks a question or they're confused or whatever it may be, we can minister to them by using our tools that God has given us, because when we go through the trials of life, as the book of James said, we can thank God because it tests our faith. It purifies our faith. It puts us in situations to where God is literally the only answer. If it was a test with four multiple choice answers, each choice would say God, 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 and God. You cannot choose anything but him because he will always be the answer. So when you're struggling with self, when you look in the mirror and don't even like who you see, when you've been allowed to be aware to a shortcoming, to something you know you absolutely abhor about yourself, guess what? You don't have to sit there and have a pity party. You don't have to hate yourself. You can take the blood of Jesus, which has been shed to wash your sins whiter than snow. You can take another bath. 
Because each day we can we can wash our feet just like Jesus told us. The one who's taken a bath from head to toe doesn't need to take another bath. It's just that when you walk through life, sometimes your feet get a little dirty. So you got to wash them off here and there. At scripture, it's just heavily paraphrased. But when we do this, when we go through the things of life, when we don't like what we see, it's because we've gotten a little dust on ourselves, a little, a little mud, a little dirt. But God, he can take it. He can clean it off of you. He can make you once again clean. You've already been purified. Now you're going through a pruning, a pruning process. And sometimes it can get a little messy. But it's because of the pruning process that we can now be called the Lord's earthen treasures. For when he opens us up, it's a wellspring of his own word, of his own holiness, of his joy that he came to give you. That not only would you have it, but that it would be bountiful, that he would come to give you this joy or this peace or whatever else. And it's a gift that only he can give you, not the world, but only he. You won't find it in a video game at the bottom of a bottle between somebody's legs. You won't find it in some random book at the library on the Internet, but only in God. So when you're struggling, when you don't like who you see, talk to your father as someone who every week we get together and I share something about my life. I'm completely honest and transparent with you to help you remember that, yes, the minister is human, too. Baby, we all have problems. We all live in the same boat. That's to encourage you to let you know that if God can do it for little old me, who is being used to bless you with the word, that means he can do it even more so for you because he loves you just that much. That you don't have to keep sitting in the same issue and the same guilt and the same filth, but that you can rise up, dust yourself off and walk forward with your head held high. Because now that you belong to Christ, when you mess up, when you make mistakes, when you sometimes you just choose to do the wrong things because it happens, it all happens now inside of Christ where his love keeps the anger far from you. Where now your sins, as the Bible says, are removed from you as far as the east is to the west. And if you don't know geography, it is impossible in all of theory and in science and even in God's own words for them to ever touch you again, because there is an infinite distance between east and west. And so, too, now is there an infinite distance between your sins and your salvation? Because, as the Bible tells us, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to anyone who is in Christ Jesus, who chases not after what this thing called our flesh wants, but chases after the spirit or after God's own will. Now, if we take a quick look at our Make That Change lesson, we can take something from Psalms chapter 51, verses 1 through 6, and 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through uh, 49. And so, as I put this up here for you, the Bible says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part of my heart, you will make me know wisdom. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. 
They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So it is written in scripture, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, an individual. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. I mean, I could stop there, but we'll, we'll keep going. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly, the man of heaven. Now, this is so important for us to keep in mind when it comes to our self-image. As the psalmist says, we've sinned, we've messed up, we've made mistakes, but God there's the but God. He can take the guilt away. He can take the pain away. He can take the humiliation away. Everything that goes with it, all the guilt trips, all the pity parties, all the self-wallowing, all the self-loathing, every, all of that is a tactic of Satan to try to make you feel bad, to say, because I sinned, I can't read the Bible right now because I feel filthy, or I can't go to church today because when I woke up this morning, I did the wrong thing. Well, don't you know that the scripture is just like the balm of Gilead himself? It's a sweet, soothing vapor that you rub on your wounds to not only take the pain away, but to heal it. God isn't just some medicinal ointment but he is the the cure itself for people that say that like oh i can't go to church because i don't have clothes or because i didn't take a, a shower or i did this or i did that baby jesus himself says come to him as you are he doesn't put stipulations on it you don't need a cert to a suit to go to jesus most of us don't have anything and i'm not talking about physical stuff i mean spiritually but he wants us to come as we are, messed up, broken, dirty, abused, hurt, unforgiving, angry, hostile. Whatever you've done in life, he doesn't care. He wants to take that away from you and to give you something better. So when you look in the mirror, regardless of what you've done, what you're doing, what you're about to do, what's going to happen in the future, God's purpose for you stays the same. Though we're weak, we can be extremely strong because it's in our weaknesses his strength is made perfect. It's when we're at our lowest that his light shines the brightest. It's when we've come out of the most unthinkable thing that more people can say, wow, God really did that for you? Well, I can't imagine what he can do for me. Everything we go through in this life is designed not to take you out, but to grow you, to prosper you, to take you to higher heights, to refine, to refine you. If we're iron, and as the Bible says, if iron sharpens iron, well, that means that God is the wheel that sharpens all the metal. He's the reason why once you get done spending time with him, you can cut through even the hardest of surfaces. You can get through to the toughest of exteriors in terms of personalities that people may have. You can pray and you can watch and hear the demons tremble. You can talk to the situation and watch it cease and desist in that moment because you've been spending time with your father. You've been sharpening the tools that he's given you. The tool of prayer, one of our most important ones. It isn't just a way to say, Father, thank you. It isn't just a way to ask for money when you don't have any for the bills. It isn't just a way to help make your dreams come true, but it's a way to fight for people. It's a way to fight for our family. It's a way to be the better you. There are some times where you can't just pray, God, I'm struggling with this. I need you to take it away. There are some times where you need to go to war with that thing. God, I see this in my life and I renounce it in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood over my life. I call forth everything that you have, God, and I cast it against this because I don't want to deal with this anymore. I refuse to keep falling by the wayside to the same thing. I refuse to keep being the same old me when you not only have better for me, but you want better for me. And I want it for me too. It's those kinds of prayers because remember, 
Our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual in nature. They have the power to cast down strongholds, to rein in every vile imagination and anything that would set itself above the glory of who God is. And that once we rein everything in and that once everything has been subjugated back unto Christ, well, baby, guess what? Things begin to change. So when you're struggling with you, when someone else is, pray break out the weapons, put the nukes on the table, go ahead, put in the codes that God has given you to launch them. Take everything that he has blessed you with and use it in the way that we've been taught to use it. It's okay to, to fight in prayer. That's what God wants you to do. There are some things like Jesus said that cannot be solved with just prayer alone, but sometimes you have to fast and pray and war in the spirit. Well, if you got to do it for certain things and for other people, doesn't that mean you have to do it for you, too? You really want to get better? You really want to accept and excel in Christ? Well, use the tools that you've been given. My brothers and sisters, playtime is over, okay? We are getting ready to enter into, once again, another new year if God doesn't decide to wrap all this up within, like, what, two months. So I'm telling you... <clears throat> Because any of you who personally know me, I love you all extremely much. Some might say I, I can be loyal to a fault, but who cares? It's because I love you, just like my grandmother says all the time. If you love somebody, share Christ with them, because Christ is the only one who can save us, who matters, who can do any and everything for us. And because I love you, I'm telling you now. I share the scripture with you. I pray for you. I, I pray for you. We fight together. We ride together. We do everything as a family, all for the singular hope that you see how much your God loves you and that you can take your experiences and the word that you know without a shadow of a doubt because he put it in your heart and in your mind that when you take it to the masses, they too can be saved. That your life being the example of probably the only Christ they'll ever see can be a pretty good one so that they say, you know what, maybe I need God too. And the last scripture I'll share with you, and then I'll get you on out of here. We'll take a look at John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. Again, this is out of Jesus's own mouth. And so the Bible says to us, is that Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Before we continue, let's keep in mind, the Lord himself is talking about the truth. We know the truth as, as an aspect, okay? It, it, it's not defined as anything other than a, a, a few plausible statements that equate to something being factual. I'm sorry, I'm getting scientific on you, but let's let's continue now. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins, that's all of us, is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free you are truly free. Now, if we just go back to the beginning of the book of John in chapter one, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We had an aspect. We had an idea of a thing, the word. Words can be the things that are written on papers, the things that you audibly hear coming out of my mouth, the thoughts that we think they're words. But the word was given context, character, and ownership. The word itself is God. The same was in the beginning. Then it goes on to say that his light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. That the word was sent, he was sent down. The word is now given proper character. It's a person now, we understand. And according to that first, first sentence, the word is God himself. We see, I believe in the book of Proverbs, around uh, chapter 28, 29, or 30, it talks about wisdom. I believe it's chapter 28, but I'm giving you these three because I'm not sure at the moment. 
where the Bible tells us that wisdom was the tool that God used to shape the foundation of existence itself. It was the architect that God used to to build everything. It's reiterated again in the book of John that everything that is created was created through the word. The word is wisdom. Wisdom is everything else. It's and we just begin to see in character how in depth the Lord uses everything that he is to make everything that we know understandable. So when we take a look at self-image and then I'll let you go, we see that we serve a God who by his own stature, his own strength, the words out of his own mouth used just that alone to create the foundation of existence. Scientifically, they would tell you the Big Bang or string theory or some other whatever, you know, whatever they want to agree upon. A lot of them sound cool, but they don't have any factual evidence. But God himself is telling you that if you look at the book of Genesis in the beginning, it was just God and his spirit hovered over the voidlessness of nothing And out of his own mouth, he said, let there be. And then there was. That's the God you serve. That's the God you pray to. You have a relationship with who loves you, who knows you by your name, who knows the very hairs on your body down to the last one, who put every single star in the sky, according to the book of Psalms, and then named it. He named the stars. There is an infinite number of stars, according to our understanding of how things work. Because in the human referendum, when there is something that is too vast to where we can't begin the understanding, we say it's infinite. But God has put a finite number of stars in the sky. But there are so many, it's infinite to us. But he still knows the names of every single one of them. There are currently about 7.8 billion people on this planet, not to mention all the others before us and those that'll be after us. God knows every single name. He's written them all down in his book. And whether he's etched them out the Lamb's book of life or not, he knows every single one of us by name. So when you pray, when you call forth a thing in that mighty name of Jesus, the name he has chosen for himself, that he has placed above every name, the name by which that's the only name we can get saved by, that at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he alone is Lord. You can do it willingly or he can force you to do it. I would suggest you do it willingly if you haven't already. That when you pray to him, when you ask for something, when you call forth a thing, though it is, even though it isn't just yet, you're using the same power because he has now blessed us with his own power, with his name as the safeguard. In both places, we we pray to him, dear Lord, heavenly father, Jesus, whatever you say to start your prayer, you've acknowledged God. You then end the prayer in Jesus's name. You're saying once again, his great name. Then you say amen to confirm the prayer, which again, his name in the book of Revelation, he is the yes and the amen. I've already acknowledged him about three times. See how good God is? Whenever you pray for any and everything, you're taking that same let there be power and then there is. He's given it to you to use as we see fit with his guidance. Lord, I'm struggling with whatever this may be. For me, it was porn. For me, it was it was a lot of stuff, the biggest of which was porn. And I've shared it with you. And God just I I really don't want to deal with this anymore. I broke down crying in the shower one day. And then what happened? He phased it out. Does it show its ugly head every now and then? Yeah, it's the same thing for anybody. We're all in AA. We're recovering, recovering sin addicts. But the beautiful thing about being with God is, is that he teaches us the tactics and the tricks that the enemy tries to use to rope us back in that make us fall and trip up. But it never works. So with that, take a look at yourself in the mirror. 
pick up the word, read it, read anything. It doesn't matter. If you don't know where to start, I highly advise you go take a look at the book of John just so you can see how awesome God is. Then work your way to Hebrews. And then like my brother right now is doing, just read from beginning to end. It'll all make sense. But the point is, is that God has you. God loves you. He will make any and everything work out for your favor because you love him and you are called according to his purpose. So with that, take a look. Don't be afraid. You might not like what you see, but it doesn't matter. God can and will make you into the better you. All you have to do is ask. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer just saying thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to get to know something exciting about you. That God, when we look at self, that it's not the self exactly that we see in the mirror, but that, Lord, it can be you who we see. For all that we do in this life, all that we're empowered to do, all that we go forth in your name to do, it's because you work out those things inside of us for us, for our benefit, and you give us the glory of being able to be a co-participant with you, God. Father, we thank you so much that regardless of what happens, what has happened, that what will happen, God, you are always there with us every step of the way. You never beat us down. You never make us feel bad about the mistakes we make because you knew what you were getting into when you saved us, that we would be recovering until the day you take us out of this body and give us our glorified bodies with you, Lord. But Father, I thank you so much that even in, until that day that you treat us so well, you take such good care of us. You provide for us. You give us everything we need that we lack and that you're just this wonderful God. Father, I thank you so much that you chose to spare us from our own mistakes, that you chose to spare us from your wrath so that we could get to know you, to live with you, to love with you, and to be able to spread and share that love so that others too might walk out of that <clears throat> that shackleless cell, Lord, that the door that's already open, that they would get up and walk through, that they would take the hand that you have ever ready right in front of them, that you would pick them up, dust them off and walk them to the other side, just like you've done for us. So Father, right now, as we thank you, God, we ask that if there be anybody who doesn't know you, that they would just be put in such a peculiar situation like we were at once upon a time to where you're their only option. And that God, that they would choose you, that they would begin to actually live life and not just exist in it, waiting to be burned, as the scripture said, so that they too might love, live and prosper. Father, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you do, and all that you're going to do. Lord, we love you so much. We can't even begin to describe it in words, but we are so thankful that we have an eternity to do so. God, just again, thank you, because that's, that's, the, that's the bare minimum that we can do. And again, Lord, we love you. It's these things we thank you for as we give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory which you so rightly deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey family, I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you, and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed.